Welcome to Better Edge, a Northwestern medicine podcast for physicians. I'm Melanie Cole, and today we're talking about reconstruction for brachial plexus injury. Joining me is Dr. Kevin Swong. He's an assistant professor of neurosurgery at Northwestern Medicine. Dr. Swong, thank you so much for joining us today for those in the audience who may not be familiar. Explain a little bit about the brachial plexus and what they are. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. The brachial plexus is essentially a network of nerves from C5 to T1 that come out of the spine and the spinal cord and supply all the sensation to the arm and all the motor functions to the arm as well. So knowing that this is a network of nerves, as you just said, how would an injury to it affect sensation or movement in the body? Is it only the upper half? Does it affect the lower? Tell us a little bit about how these injuries present themselves. So brachial plexus injuries in a multi-trauma setting is relatively common. About 2% of patients with multi-system trauma will have some sort of brachial plexus injury. It typically presents with flaccid paralysis of the arm. And the extent and severity kind of depends on the events and dexterity of the injury itself. Well, you just mentioned a little bit about how these injuries happen. Expand on that for us more, Dr. Swung. What do you typically see? Well, it can really be from any high-velocity trauma. So car accidents are very common, more so because car accidents are a common source of injury. But it can also be from falls. It can occasionally be from sports-related injuries or things that are kind of more sharp in nature, so sharp lacerations or gunshot wounds or things like that. So, Dr. Swung, formerly brachial plexus lesions, injuries were treated conservatively, but currently operative care is a highly specialized field, really, that's limited to relatively few tertiary care centers, and a wide variety exists of how these injuries are treated. How has this very specialized field evolved? What have you seen change over the years? You know, I think you're absolutely correct. Historically, outcomes for brachial plexus injuries were considered very poor. And when we say historically, that comes from like World War II, essentially. And over the past several decades, especially with the introduction of the operative microscope, our abilities as surgeons to explore and repair the elements of the brachial plexus have really expanded. I think if you looked at the history of it, most traditionally people would just do what's called an exploration. So they would have a patient who had brachial plexus injury, and after a period of time without significant spontaneous recovery, they would go to the operating room and explore the brachial plexus. Now, part of the issue is if you look at the brachial plexus and its elements after an injury, what's called a neuroma can form, which is essentially scar tissue around the nerves. And the neuroma itself can look relatively normal. So just by going on inspection, it was difficult to tell what part of the nerve was functioning and what part of it wasn't. Dr. Klein at LSU really pioneered the use of intraoperative monitoring. And so what he was able to do was find the elements of the brachial plexus with the aid of intraoperative monitoring and test specific elements of the plexus. And by testing which elements of the plexus were functioning versus non-functioning, really tailor the surgery and improve functional outcomes. The mainstay of treatment was a neuroma excision where we would cut out the non-functioning neural tissue and then replace it with uh, donor nerve grafts, most likely from sensory nerves other places in the body. And that's been the mainstay for treatment of brachial plexus injuries. What has become kind of more 
prevalent is what's called nerve transfers. So the issue with nerve grafts are that when you cut out an neuroma, any functioning tissue that's still going through that neuroma is essentially removed with a non-functioning tissue. A nerve graft allows that functioning tissue to still continue to work, but supplies a functioning nerve from another part of the body. And so in essence, we're robbing Peter to pay Paul because we're taking nerves from a functioning part of the body and rerouting them to a part of the body that doesn't work. And that has several advantages. One is since the nerve is itself working, the time to recovery should be shorter because it doesn't have to grow through as much tissue in order to start the regeneration process. When you cut a neuroma, you have two sites of a cut, right? So there are two sites of what we call coaptation when we put the nerves back together. And each side of coaptation is a potential site of neuroma formation, which would inhibit regeneration. And so by doing a transfer, you cut that in half. So that's another potential benefit. But the downside is that not every nerve site is amenable to a nerve transfer just because of anatomic limitations. So when we look at these patients, what we try to do is tailor our reconstructive strategies through both of these methods and see which one would be most appropriate. Wow, so interesting. And thank you for telling us about the reconstruction process. And it is amazing how advances in radiologic imaging have really augmented your diagnostic and therapeutic capabilities. So as you're telling us about this, Dr. Swang, and given the complexity you just described, and with increasingly complex treatment algorithms, speak about the multidisciplinary approach that is so important for these patients. Yeah, I'm really glad you brought that up because certainly, especially for something like this, we cannot operate in a vacuum and we operate very closely with our physiatrists who are physicians who specialize in rehabilitation medicine, our radiologists who specialize in imaging techniques, physical therapists and occupational therapists who help with range of motion and to prevent contractures. And then within the surgical specialty ourselves, it's more than just neurosurgeons. So the specialties that, I guess, participate in peripheral neurosurgery are neurosurgeons, plastic surgeons, and orthopedic surgeons. Each one brings a slightly different element and skill. And it is important to have as many people as possible because there are some things that are better fixed with nerve surgery. There are some problems that might be better fixed with, like, tendon transfers. And then, you know, obviously, if there are any broken bones or things like that, then orthopedic colleagues help with that as well. So, it really does take a team approach, and to that point, we are in the process of building and developing a brachial plexus center at Northwestern. It's very much in the early stages, but so far it would be myself, Dr. Jason Coe, who's a plastic surgeon, who also specializes in peripheral nerve surgery, and then physiatry and radiology as well. Wow, so based on what we've learned today, I can only imagine it must be an incredible, intricate process when working on the brachial plexus. Is there anything you'd like to let other providers know about cutting edge technologies at Northwestern Medicine that your team is utilizing, anything on the horizon, or even any clinical trials or research that your team is working on that you'd like to let other providers know about? So nerve regeneration therapies are an active area of research at Northwestern, and we're investigating ways to try to augment nerve repair and nerve growth specifically for nerve transfers. There's medications being investigated as well as therapies with electrostimulation. So that's a very active area of research. The other one that I'm interested in as well is radiology. So when we look at MRI scans more often to evaluate the brachial plexus, there's no way to see if the neuroma or the scar tissue is contiguous or not. And we're developing techniques to try to 
get a better picture of the brachial plexus element before surgery. So those are the areas we're looking into. Fascinating field you're in, Dr. Swang. Is there anything else that you'd like to add, any take-home message? And certainly I'd like you to mention when you feel it's important that other providers refer. The traditional teaching from medical school is that brachial plexus injuries don't have a great chance of recovery. And I think over the past 20 or 30 years, and certainly within the past 10 years, that thought process is really changing. And the uses for transfers or peripheral nerve surgery are always expanding. And so besides brachial plexus injuries, what they're looking at now is spinal cord injury to try to reanimate parts of the limbs that might have lost function or strokes. What I would say to other providers is the outcomes are good and can restore a lot of function to patients. And the sooner that we're able to see these patients, the better. So if we're going to intervene surgically, the ideal timeline is somewhere between six and eight months. And then after a year or so, outcomes become less good, but recovery is still possible even that far out. So the earlier, the better, yes? Absolutely. Thank you so much, Dr. Swang, for joining us. And I hope you'll come on and join us again and give us some updates as these technologies continue to evolve to refer your patient. Or for more information, please visit our website at nm.org to get connected with one of our providers. That concludes this episode of Better Edge, a Northwestern Medicine podcast for physicians. Please also remember to download, subscribe, rate, and review this podcast and all the other Northwestern Medicine podcasts. I'm Melanie Cole. Thank you.